0: the lord has a word for us this morning it ties into the launch of our our prayer night wednesday evening coming up you'll notice in a newsletter we invite you to come but um i was thinking you know that when you have these these colds for me it always gets me in the chest vanessa she's home today because she has less faith than i do but she's uh she's not getting paid to be here um but no, she uh, always gets it in the ear and throat. <clears> throat. For me, I tend to get it in the chest, and and the thing when you get it in the chest is you you know you just get that congestion. It's hard to breathe. You know, it's like you're trying to sleep at night and <clears throat> don't get a lot of rest, and and uh, just everything gets constricted. And I really kind of felt as I was looking at the scripture I wanted to share this morning that there's a correlation. Not that the Lord made me sick. Don't get me wrong. Unless He's trying to teach me something, but. There's a correlation, I believe, in what I want to share this morning and what I believe really the Lord wants to do in our midst as a congregation individually and collectively and that I believe there's some areas where the Lord wants to just kind of release some congestion. He wants to open our airwaves. He wants us to be able to kind of breathe deep again, and He wants us to be able to expel, to to breathe out, to see uh, just really all that He has for us. Does that make sense? Because it just, there comes a time, I think, in all of our lives, and there can be seasons of the body as well, We feel like there's something new the Lord wants to do. There's something more. And He might even give us a little bit of a taste of things here and there to say, look, I am in your midst, and, and I am doing some things, and lives are being touched, and people are being awakened, and, and things are happening, but there, there's a lot more. But in order for that to happen, in order to come really that full, unrestricted flow of what I intend for you, then I'm calling to a new commitment. I'm calling to a new level of preparation. Does that make sense? And I want to talk about that from Psalm 132 this morning. Psalm 132. I'll just get right into the scripture. We read, remember, O Lord, in David's favor. This is a, a psalmist writing these words, not David himself, but he says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob that I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And that ends David's quote, and the psalmist continues. He says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephratah. We found it in the fields of Gerar. That's basically the place, if you may recall, where the ark of God's covenant had been for some time, kind of out in the, out in the uh, wilderness, you might say, and uh, here the people are searching for that, that ark, they're searching for that manifest presence of God. He says in verse 7, let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. Would you read that with me? Let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. That's really what I want to focus on this morning. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. And this is the Lord's oath. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them their sons also forever shall sit on the throne. Let me just say something here about verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> in response to David's prayer, in response to really what is the passion of David's heart, that, that, that he desired to, to have this footstool, you might say, to, for God to come and be where David is, to dwell there in power. That's the cry of David's heart. And God says to David, David, I will do that. That's my heart too. I'll do that. But he says, he makes a vow and he says, I will be there with you from generation to generation as long as your descendants walk in my ways. Now, we know that that didn't happen. We know that eventually some of David's descendants so violated God's covenant that God was no longer able to respond to them in the way that he wanted to, even though he was willing. But what we see is that there came one in the lineage of David. His name was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh. And and through Jesus Christ, we see that what God the Father has done, He has reinstituted that covenant with us, with His people. And that covenant is that we are the people who experience the presence of God, the promise of God to dwell in their midst if we will prepare a place for Him. Or what the scripture refers to David's words if we will prepare a footstool when we come to verse 13 we see the elaboration of that covenant and each of the following promises that we'll see as we'll look at in just a moment they're really for all of us but before we read that I just want to give us an idea of of what this word Zion means I want us to understand that Zion is not just a geographical place Zion scripturally is just as much a, a, a people in fact Zion really is an attitude It's an attitude that a people have, the people of God who choose to come before God, to gather around the feet of God in worship, in praise, in intercession, in prayer. And God says that when my people come together in that attitude, he says they're called the people of Zion. That's the people of Zion. The people of Zion aren't just people who meet in a church or go to a church. The people of Zion are the people who truly choose and and, and long for the presence of God. And want him to dwell with them. Let's read these last verses together 13 to 18. These are the promises of God. For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions, I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And I want you to notice here in verse 14, when the Lord says, This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I want you to notice it's a response to the very thing that's been the longing of David's heart. This is not just some arbitrary thing God says. It begins with David saying, Lord, this is my passion. Lord, I'm not going to sleep until I find a resting place for you in the midst of your people. In a response to that, God says, I will find a resting place in your midst. Now, when we think of resting place, of course, you know, some of us who are kind of morbid, we think of our final resting place and uh, we're just going to be there doing nothing, or some of us think of, uh, you, know, you know, some big comfy chair. Uh, I helped my mother move uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, she had my grandmother's lazy boy, this big ugly brown lazy boy, and I brought it home. It's still downstairs, but I'm working its way upstairs <clears throat> into the living room where I sit, because Vanessa has these attractive chairs that are so uncomfortable. I can say a lot this morning. She's not here, and she's... <laughs> She's probably not going to listen online, so I'm good to go. This is, in fact, why don't we just change topics? Can I share my heart? <laughs> but I got this lazy boy, and it is so comfortable. And, and oftentimes when we think of this idea of God entering into his rest, we kind of have this idea that he's just passive, you know, just kind of passing time, waiting for the world to end. But I want us to understand, as David understood, that when God enters his rest, David was a king. David knew what this meant. For God to enter his rest, it means that he is sitting on his throne. He's in a position of authority and power, and he administers that power from that place of rulership because of who he is or because of the victory he has won. And everything that he administers, it flows out of this atmosphere of rest. And that's why when God says to us that we are to rest in him, that's why the Lord says whatever we're going through, whatever we encounter, whatever areas it is that the Lord is bringing us through, he says you need to understand this. The battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. Now, what he means by that is, listen, I have wanted. I have all power, and I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn to acknowledge me in all your ways. I want you to learn to allow me to guide your steps, your decisions, day by day as you walk through these things, because I want you to understand I have all power. I have all power. I just want you to line up with me, and I want you to rest in that knowledge. In fact, God lists those things that begin to unfold when there is a passion On the part of his people to actually want what God has promised and that's the question I want to ask you this morning I want to ask you to ask yourself seriously do I really have a passion that wants what God has promised not that I just believe not that it would be nice but do I have a passion that really wants what God has promised and that's why why I want to talk about God's heart for us and I want to talk about a heart for prayer it's not that nobody prays in this church. I know of many people in this congregation who are faithful in prayer. But I do believe, as I said earlier, that the what the Lord is saying to us that for what He has for us as individuals, because some of you, for the things I've been sharing this past longest time, you say, Pastor, that's where I am. That's what God's saying to me. And I believe oftentimes, and that's my prayer, that when I'm preaching, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just kind of bearing witness to what God is stirring in your heart, what God's saying to you. That together we're walking with the Lord. And in fact, any Anything that we're going to possess in the Lord, friends, we're going to possess it together. We've got to get away from the celebrity mindset that just says, you know, if we can just get the right person on the platform or get the, you know, the right decor in the sanctuary, whatever the case may be, well, that's all it takes. No, it's it's the people of God. Coming together and possessing what God has called us to do and waking up to that. And that begins by waking up to it in our own hearts, in our own lives, and then collectively coming together and, and just seeing what only God can do. But again, it's not that we don't have people who pray, but I believe what the Lord is saying, again, back to that analogy, is that there's this at this season there's a congestion. And, and there's life and there's health and there's vitality, but there's also an understanding that there's more. And I want to be able to open up that congestion. I want you to be able to really breathe in deeply of what the Lord has and who He is for you. And that, that presently is just not characteristic in the congregation at this time. I mean, does that sound on track to anybody at all? You can just kind of raise your hand because I can't quite see. I've got these big spotlights in my eyes. <clears throat> I feel real important, but I can't see it too well. And I'm getting dizzy, so please don't move. You're all just kind of sitting down there going... Zzzz at this time. Let's get back to this passage. It begins with a reflection on David's longing to find this place in the midst for God to dwell. But I want us to understand, David's not just looking for a devotional relationship with God. David already has that, and many of us have that as well. David's not just looking for those those moments where God shows up in power and does something. Uh, David's already experienced that. He's experienced many miraculous conquests. And many of us have experienced, even over this last recent season, we've experienced just times of of God showing up in power and God just doing some neat things and and seeing miracles and seeing lives touched. That's not what David's talking about here. David wants to find a permanent dwelling place for God where God's rule can be established because he understands that God's not finished with what he's begun. He's not finished doing what he wants to do yet. And he wants to have a place that's permanent for God so that God's rule can be established in the midst of his people, but it can also begin to flow out from there and begin to expand the borders and begin to be all that God intends to do through his people. And that's really the whole point of the physical temple that David wanted to build. And his, his son Solomon ended up building. David got all the supplies together. But David recognized the need for a temple in the midst of God's people because he wants there to be this footstep for the Lord. He wants you to be this established place where the people all around see that the God of Israel is alive. He's in the midst of his people, and he is strong and mighty. So he wants a temple as opposed to just kind of the occasional, you know, visitations or the occasional things that happened that were short-lived when there was just a tabernacle. David wants that fixed place. David says the same thing in Psalm 99. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. In Isaiah 60, the Lord says, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. And then, the New Testament, we come to Luke where it says that God the Father has told his son Jesus, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your, your footstool. And like that idea of rest, I think when we read the word footstool, we think of it in terms of just, again, kind of casually lying around. But that's not what it talks about. It's talking about authority. It's talking about the fact of being established. It's talking about the fact that everything that is under His feet is under His power. Uh, There is more than one occasion that God said to His people in the Old Testament, He said every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you. And then Isaiah 66, God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now, when we read that, we kind of tend to picture that in our mind's eye as God's feet just generally on the earth, don't we? You kind of picture the globe and there's God's feet. What David is saying is, God, I want your feet here. I want your feet to be right here. Why? Why? Because David recognizes that everything God has accomplished in the heavenlies, everything God is, everything God wants to do is released at his feet, where his feet dwell. That's what Jesus prayed, wasn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what David is saying. I recognize your power and majesty, all power and authority is yours. God, I don't want you just to be God over all the earth in a general way. I want you to show up here. And friends, there's another level, there's another dimension of, of spirituality, of maturity, of walking with Christ for the believers in the body of Christ today, when we come to a place and say, Lord, I thank you that all power is yours. I thank you that you're a God of heaven and earth. I thank you through the cross of Jesus Christ that you have overcome the powers of the enemy. I thank you for that, but Lord, I want to see that here. I, I want your power to be concentrated here. And many other places, but Lord, I want to be among your people, people of Zion, that say, I want to prepare a dwelling place for you right here. Now, there is a condition as to where God sets his feet. I believe God sets his feet where people make a footstool out of worship and prayer and intercession. I believe God makes a footstool. Listen, folks, this is important. A place where prayer is not just a passing notion. Prayer is not just kind of, yeah, well, you know, uh, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Or God, you know, go ahead, we, you know, we just want you to do whatever it is you want to do. God is looking for people who will intentionally join him in what it is that he's doing presently. God is looking for a people who understand the Lord says, all power is mine. All power is mine. But I'm looking for people who want me to work that power in their midst. That's where God sets his feet. That's what God means when he says that the place of my feet is glorious. That might sound like a strange scripture, but what the Lord is saying is that what makes it glorious is the fact that I'm showing up there. I'm working there, and people know that I am in their midst. But listen closely. I believe there's this wrong idea in the church related to God's sovereignty, We kind of think of sovereignty as, you know, our job is just to say, well, Lord, you go ahead and do something. And then we stand back and we just watch what he does. God, you're sovereign. You're all powerful. It almost sounds pious. It's almost like we're giving permission to God to be sovereign. What do you think of it? (laughs) Lord, we just want you to know that we know you're sovereign, so you go ahead. And we just want to see what you do. And our idea of sovereignty is kind of like that God does what nobody can do. It's kind of like Paul said, he will do exceedingly above and beyond anything you would ask or think. We love those scriptures. They are so true. And that sounds logical. It even sounds spiritual. But friends, I believe there's probably been no wrong interpretation of a particular doctrine that's been more damaging to the body of Christ, more damaging to the cause of Christ, more damaging to individual believers than just this distorted idea of sovereignty. I believe the truth of what sovereignty is, is just outlined in Psalm 115, which says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to mankind. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to mankind. I believe what the Lord is saying, He says, All power is mine, but your power is to come and ask me to direct it to where you are. That's how it works. It's all mine. It's available to you if you want it. It doesn't just happen. God invites us to be a part of the incredible work that he is doing. But he says it involves prayer. That's where prayer comes in. You know, when the average person talks about prayer, it's usually in the context of uh, just kind of tossing one up. (laughs) You know how many times you had somebody say, hey, I'll pray for you. Then you go away thinking, oh, good, I got somebody praying for me. <laughs> or did you go away thinking, you'll probably forget this. As soon as you turn around, you'll forget you mentioned that. I'm being too pessimistic, I know, but it happens. You know, I'll pray for you. Or, or you know, it, or this, it's kind of like a religious tagline nowadays uh, for all the disasters that have been happening down in the States and the hurricanes and so on. How many times do you hear somebody saying, you know, our prayers are with them? Our prayers are with you. And forgive me for being cynical, but my first thought is, did you pray for them? Did you really pray see, prayer just kind of becomes this tagline. But God says that where he works mighty is where there are people who are gathered at his feet. Where he works mightily are where there are people who gather together to create a footstool for God. Where there are people who come together and create a place where they say, Lord, we want you to come and we want your glory to dwell here. Where God works mightily is where we have sons and daughters who understand what it means to be part of the family business. That's what it means to be part of the church. It comes from the word corpse, from uh, body, corporation. It's the same thing, the family business. But you see, the mistake in the family business is that we've come to believe in the North American culture that, well, God will take care of everything. And God says, no, it's a family business. And I want sons and daughters who will learn to grow up and actually operate in the business. Does that make sense? I I want them to begin to help me in administering all power that I have. Jesus said, I give to you, now Go. There's a world to reach, there's a messed up, hurting world to reach that I want to bring under God's rule of peace and of healing and of salvation. But I need a people who understand that it doesn't just happen. It happens because there's a people who want God to dwell in their midst and flow through Does that make sense? That's a footstool. It's saying like David, Lord, we really want your presence to be here. And in that presence he says in verse 9, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. That has to do with commitment. It has to do with preparation. It means that I don't just kind of casually come before God or I don't just kind of casually live my life before God. But rather I have a relationship with God where I come to him and say, God, I want you to purify me. I want you to keep me clean from the things that contaminate us in our culture today because, Lord, I I want your right ways. That's what righteousness is. I want your right ways working in me. There's a commitment to that, and God answers that prayer. Now, when we come to verses 10 to 13, we see that the desire of God's covenant with David is that that righteous rule continues. That's, That's really God's heart. God doesn't want sin to interrupt things. God doesn't want the the circle to be broken. God wants there to be a continual flow from generation to generation to generation. That's the heart of God. And he says, if your sons keep my covenant, their sons also forever shall sit on their throne. You know, there's probably nothing, I don't know, maybe there is, but I find nothing sadder in the body of Christ today or an individual believer's life than for somebody or for a church to actually have known just the the intimacy of Jesus knowing the the joy of walking with the Lord or just knowing seasons of fruitfulness when the Lord was real and then they just kind of get used to that and then they just stop doing the things that actually enabled that to flow and then over time it kind of dries up and they don't even really recognize anymore that it's not there. And that might be you this morning. Maybe you've known times of where the Lord's just been so real to you, what was a long time ago. I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, the Lord hasn't given up on you. The Lord invites you to come back to him, to come back to his feet. He's not discarded you. He doesn't throw you away. I, I love the scripture in the Old Testament. The Lord says, I'm married to the backslider. That's the heart of God toward us. No matter where we may be, how unqualified we may feel, the Lord says, I'm just, I want to, just come back. Come back. I haven't left you. I haven't broken the covenant. I'm still married to you. I'm still committed to you. But I want you to come back. Or maybe in walking with the Lord faithfully over the years, but now the Lord is saying he wants to do something bigger. He wants to take you into something newer than you can imagine. I really believe this morning it's a word for the Lord for our church. But it's going to require a new level of prayer on our part. It's going to require a new heart for prayer that we haven't had before. Not that we haven't prayed before. Not that we haven't had prayer meetings before. Not that people don't pray. But I think you hear my heart this morning. I believe the Lord is calling us to a new commitment. The Lord is calling us to a new preparation because of what he wants to do. Now along with this idea of footstool, the psalmist says in verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. And again, remember this, that Zion is this idea of the people of God. In fact, there's another psalm, I can't remember which one it is now, but it actually talks about the fact that when we are born again, that it's like our names are registered in Zion. It's a powerful reality, that when we come to Jesus Christ, we are citizens of Zion. We are citizens of the city of God. We are also the dwelling place of God. And I believe what God is saying is when He's asked in these preceding verses, when they say, Lord, we want Your presence to be here, Lord, we want your presence to come. We want your presence to expand. We want your influence to grow in and through us. Then God says, I will. But here's the beautiful thing. God says, I have chosen you. Zion, I have chosen you as the place that I will do that. Do we realize that this morning? We don't have to go somewhere else. We don't have to chase after the Lord. The Lord says, I will choose you. I will do it. In your midst, he says, I pick you. I pick you. That's an amazing thing. You, you kind of grow accustomed to your spouse, but 32 years ago, 32 years ago, I said to a young woman, I pick you. And thankfully, she said, I pick you too. And we haven't been disappointed. But we forget how incredibly loving, intimate, committed, those words are. I pick you. Uh, I won't get you to say anything embarrassing to your spouse, but just think for a moment, this person sitting beside you, this lump on a log. I'm just teasing. Whatever you may think of them, they've chosen you. They've chosen you. You know what that ought to do? In times when you don't feel that romantic, you don't feel that in love, whatever the case may be, you need to smarten up. Say, hey, this person chose me. Sucker? <laughs> no. <laughs> but you know what I mean? If you really let it sink in, hey, wait a minute. I owe this person something. Not, not in a way of debt, but wow, this person chose me. We, we, we have an opportunity to have something incredible here. They chose me. I chose them. And we can rekindle that commitment. We can rekindle that love. And the Lord says, I've chosen you. He says, he has desired it for his dwelling. God says, listen, not only have I chosen you, I desire you. Friends, let this sink in. I don't know if it's just me with my cold. My, I feel kind of cluttered. Maybe you feel the same way this morning. But is this sinking in? I know you're just trying to make me feel good. But the Lord is saying, I, I've chosen you. Why? Get this. I like you. No, I really like you. The Lord does not look down on us. He doesn't look down on you and say, well, I I guess I choose you. You know, kind of like when you are a kid, being chosen for a basketball game. You're the last one. Yeah, I choose you. That's not how the Lord looks at you. The Lord says, I have chosen you, and I desire you. I want you. You say you long for me, David said, oh God, my heart, I don't want to go to bed, I don't want to sleep, I'm restless, Lord, until I find a dwelling place for you. And God says, that's my heart for you. I can't sleep, I think of you all the time, you're engraved in the palm of my hand. I desire you, I want you, I love you, I want to be in your midst. I want to be real to you. I I want to fill you with my presence, with my word. I want to work through you. I want your life to be satisfied in a relationship with me more than you do. I choose you, and I want you. Friends, we need to understand it's a matter of opening our heart, preparing our heart, because the Lord has already made the commitment. He's just saying, I want you to want me like I want you. I won't turn you away. Verse 14, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. That's the first thing the Lord has promised to us individually and together as a people. I will dwell with you. Verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Provision speaks of what the Lord has already given to us. This idea of abundantly blessing means he will multiply it. There are incredible riches that God has given to every single one of us, the Scripture says, in Christ Jesus. We literally have it all. But God says that when you begin to open your heart, when you commit, when you make preparation, when you build that footstool, that place for me to truly dwell in your midst, He says, I will take what I've already poured into you, and I'll begin to multiply that. I'll begin to minister through that. I'll begin to release that through your life individually and as a congregation. He says, I will satisfy her poor with bread. And we all know that poverty in the Bible has a lot more to do with just just economic poverty. It basically has to do with an attitude of heart that says, I don't have it and I can't get it. That's what real poverty is. You know, some of us think we're poor, uh, but we we really don't understand poverty. Poverty is when you don't have it, and and you don't have any way of getting it. And maybe some of us have been in that time over the years. I have years ago, and maybe some of you recently, you understand what that really means. You don't have it, and you don't know any idea how you're going to get it. Now, what God says is, I promise to meet your emptiness. I promise to satisfy your hunger. But he says it happens in the hearts of a people who are honest enough to confess and say, Lord, we don't have it, and we can't get it. And the Lord says, you're right, you don't have it. I have it, and I'll give it to you if you fix your heart on me. He says, I dwell among the people who want me, who want me. We know that God does never; He never imposes His presence on anybody, but where He finds a people who say, "Lord, I'm restless. Lord, I, I just I can't sleep. Lord, I I just I'm not going to be satisfied until Your presence dwells in our midst." Then here's the Lord's promises, verse 16. He says, "Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. Her priests I will clothe with salvation." Now keep in mind, this is the Lord's response. These are his promises in response to that kind of hungry heart. He says, I'll clothe with salvation. And many of us understand that salvation is not just about your sins being forgiven. Salvation is a work of God that actually keeps you from sinning. It actually helps you to begin to move in the things that God has for you. To be clothed with salvation simply means to look like somebody who's saved. To be clothed in salvation means to live like somebody who's been saved. To, to talk like somebody who's been saved. To be saved, I believe, means to live like somebody clothed with salvation. I think somebody put it on Facebook the other week, I jotted it down and said this Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will know God because they know you. Make sense? He says, I will clothe you with salvation. How many would say, Lord, I just want to be clothed with the freshness of salvation? that actually demonstrates that salvation's happening in me. Lord, I I just, I want to be clothed with the freshness of the joy of my salvation that people who look at me can actually see there's some God stuff going on inside of me. You know, I just kind of feel like we need to reach up and say, Lord, I'm just going to slide my arm into that. You know, I'm I'm just going to put that on this morning. Because we need to remind ourselves sometimes that salvation is not just this past thing that we got from God many years ago. It needs to be transformative. Verse 17, then the Lord says, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I will, be, I will have prepared a lamp for my anointed. The idea of a horn has to do with authority. I'll go through this quickly. Animals, of course, use their horn for defense to tear up their enemies. But I love what the Lord says there. I will make a horn sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. And I believe what the Lord is saying to us is, listen, some of us sometimes feel like We've just been held under for so long by the enemy. We feel like we've been in the muck. We feel like we've been held down. And the Lord says, I will give you strength. The Lord says, I will pick you back up. I will clean you off, and I will make you shine. And people will see that my grace is at work in your life. Verse 18, finish with this. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And, of course, that speaks to victory, but I like the way it's phrased. It's as if God is saying, listen you've been taking your lumps from the enemy long enough. I'm going to give him a licking. The Lord says, I've clothed you with salvation, and I will clothe the enemy with shame. Now listen, that doesn't mean that God was being nice to the devil up to this point, and now he decides to get back at him. What God is saying is, listen, when my people get serious about prayer, then what they begin to open up, I'm allowed to enter, and I'm allowed to begin to exercise my authority. Does that make sense? See, it has to do with our posture. It has to do with our heart, with our passion as to what the Lord will do. The Lord says in response to David, because that's your heart, here's the things that I will do. But if it's not your heart, I can't do that. And these are the promises. Now somebody's going to think, well, couldn't God just do it anyway? And the fact is, no. Friends, we need to understand God has committed himself to a covenant in his relationship with mankind that everything he does on this planet it's by his power but is through people everything happens that way in other words if people do nothing what happens nothing nothing happens if people choose to follow the lies of the enemy like we shared the last few weeks then there will always be death and destruction but if people tap into the lord and to his presence then god is able to do the impossible that's how the sovereignty of god works And in this psalm, what David is saying is, Lord, this is the passion of my heart. And God says, I will gladly do that, because that's the passion of my heart, too. And whether it's your heart as an individual, whether it's our heart collectively as a congregation, the Lord says, if you will prepare for me a footstool, then my feet will dwell there. And where my feet are, it is glorious. And friends, you can prepare a footstool in your home. You can prepare a footstool as a congregation, but it's that tangible place where we're saying, Lord, I thank you for who you are and what you do and what your word says, but Lord, I want it to happen here. You see, the problem is a lot of the times we're not really that concerned about it happening here until something goes wrong and we need God. But David understood, Lord, my relationship with you is good. I have a devotional life. I see you do things in power once in a while. But Lord, what I'm really concerned about, what my passion is, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to expand. And that's something God births in prayer. God shakes our heart. And the Lord says, there's so much more that I want to do. I'm going to ask the musicians to to join me if you would. We're going to close with a song. But I want to remind us this evening, as we see in our bulletin, that there's a Our prayer night is beginning this fall now, Wednesday night. We moved it to Wednesday night because Sundays are quite full with our children, our youth program. And uh, so it's Wednesday night from 7 to 8. Really want to encourage you to come. Uh, If you uh, have that hour free, if not, make it free. Wouldn't it be wonderful? But uh, maybe you have children. Maybe it's some situation, Pastor, I I absolutely just can't make that time. But I want to encourage you to do this. Don't feel like you have to be excluded. You can still take some time on a Wednesday night, whether you're at home from 7 to 8 with the children and you got them in bed or whatever it may be, and just say, Lord, I'm going to just take some time and go to prayer. We're going to pray- go to prayer as a, as a couple or as a family, whatever it may be. We can't get to the church, but our, our family is joining at that time. and So we're going to come together and pray. and We're going to be praying for that footstool that Pastor Paul's been talking about. But I want to conclude this service by inviting us as we, we close with this song. I just want to invite you to, to to simply open your heart to this and say, Lord, I just pray this morning for a new heart for prayer. I just want to receive a new heart for prayer. We're not going to get the footstool built this morning, but we can begin by acknowledging that what God really has for us, it's more than we can imagine. Do you really believe that? Good morning. Do you believe that? Tell the person beside you, say amen so we can get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I got your attention. Somebody said, oh, what, what, was it over? I believe with all my heart that on a personal level for each of us and on a corporate level that the Lord is saying, I just want you to build a footstool for me. I know what your life is like. I know it's busy. I know all the reasons and all the excuses. But I just want you to understand really who I am and what I have for you and just what I want to do through you. But you've got to stop and you've got to build that altar. You've got to build that footstool individually. Wherever you may be this morning, as we close in this song, I, I want to invite you again to say, Holy Spirit, I just pray for a new A new love for prayer, a new love for your presence. And then also that we understand as the people of God that whatever the Lord has for us, He has for a people who will possess it together. And that's where corporate prayer comes in. Corporate prayer is not just something we do because it should be on the church calendar. We want corporate prayer to be the heartbeat of our church. We want corporate prayer to be not just a time where tossing went up or going through the motions. We want to be a time where we're hearing from God collectively, where God's confirming direction, where God is speaking to us, where the gifts are being released, and God is clearly just sharing his heart with us, or God's releasing things, breaking things, preparing things for Sunday ministry or through the week. That's really what it's meant to be, a time as being watchmen on the walls in our city, and we forget sometimes of the body of Christ. You know, so often we operate in the flesh, and we just kind of react to things, You know, something happens in the city we don't like. You know, some parade or whatever the case may be and we complain. God says, rise up. Rise up. You are the people of God. I've made you watchmen over this city. You decide what enters this city. You decide what leaves this city. I don't mean just physical things. You decide what spiritual strongholds are in this city. You decide what comes and goes. I've made you watchmen. Not just glad tidings, every church. Can you imagine if all the churches in this city, rather than complaining, just got together on our face before God? There was nothing that would happen in our city without God's permission. There would be blessing and righteousness and peace and freedom and revival taking place. But it begins with the people of God understanding that we need to make for the Lord a footstool and not just say, Lord, thank you that you're sovereign, but Lord, be sovereign here be sovereign here. We gather around your feet. We want to be the people of Zion. We want the manifest presence of God right here. And Lord, we're going to move forward and possess it together. Will you stand with me? As Pastor Kristen leads us, I simply as he does this, before you slip out, would you just, where you are right now, just say, Lord, I just received this fresh burden for prayer, this fresh passion for prayer. Lord, I want to begin to make that footstool in my heart, in my home. Let's just start there before we leave this morning.